Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Roots Away podcast. This is your host, Jason Ringenberg. Today, we have one of my closest friends, Jared Wright. Jared is one of the most impressive rock climbers I've ever met in my life, as well as the most impressive canyoneer by far. Very, very amazing outdoor athlete in every single sense of the word. We've spent so much time doing really absurd things together in the mountains. Him and his partner, the amazing SAS master, Miss Cindy, own a gear store called Amazing Adventures Gear Store in Liverpool, Utah. And they also run a guide company out of it. And uh, you should go rock climbing and canyoneering with them because uh, you're never going to find anywhere cooler. So here's Jared Wright. You. What's up, Jared? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Can you uh, give the audience a little background and uh, you know where you came from, how you're doing? Sure. Um, my name's Jared Wright. I am a rock climber. Grew up in Texas. Uh, climbed on the Austin Rock Climbing Team for more than a decade. Uh, did the whole comp kid thing and then moved to Colorado to chase outdoor opportunities, but also went to college there. Um, did the whole corporate life for a little while, decided I didn't like it and focused on the outdoors, particularly climbing. What did you do like corporate lifestyle? Uh, so I've got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. I was pre-law for a bit. Um, I had a corporate security job working, um, in Colorado Springs through college and then got promoted and moved, uh, up to Denver and lasted about six months in Denver while wrapping up my senior year and kind of realized that it was not the lifestyle that I was looking for. Um, the front range has like a lot of opportunities for climbing, but, uh, everybody there wants to do it, which is cool, but I was not interested in, you know, sitting in traffic for two hours to go climbing, waiting in line at a crag or a boulder field, uh, to get on routes or boulders. Um, it's fun to like, you know, share climbing with people, but when it's like, overrun and crags and boulder fields get like overloved um it's less inspiring to me so i decided to move into my honda fit full-time and travel around the country and figure out somewhere else that i wanted to work and live and i really had no idea what that looked like when i hit the road so you move into your car you hit the road what's where's like the first place you go Um, I went to the red first, so I drove from, um, Denver to Kentucky. Um, I did it in two days. I really had, you know, no time frame. Um, I started reaching out to people on mountain project looking for climbing partners, uh, which I pretty quickly, I won't say regretted, but, um, stopped doing, (laughs) um, cause you just never really know like the play experience or climbing experience that people have. And, um, it, that was something that I wasn't like super interested in pursuing after the red. So I started focusing on bouldering pretty aggressively after that. Um, I had signed up for the triple crown competition after the red river gorge, uh, which is an outdoor bouldering competition in North Carolina, uh, Tennessee and Alabama, um, over a six week period. And so 
once I left the red, I just focused on bouldering and hitting up those locations. Yeah. So for those that aren't like that into climbing, Red River Gorge in Kentucky is like one of the premier rock climbing destinations in the world. And, you know, everybody should probably go. I haven't been, but I've heard it's rad. Um, (laughs) I definitely was not like a sport climber when I showed up there. And oh my God, like fitness was very apparent. Um, I got pumped in the first like 40 feet of I don't know how many climbs. Uh, It's all very steep, very overhanging, very gymnastic um and uh the pump was real <laughs> uh, i was definitely struggling like multiple grades lower than what i was climbing in colorado on like more of a, like vertical terrain more like kind of techie style stuff so it was very very different uh, and i'm glad i went but it's definitely not like drawing me back yeah yeah so you do the uh the, the triple crown bouldering thing you said yeah it was the triple crown bouldering competition the first one i don't know i wasn't it, is technically a competition, but it's really just like a fun way to meet people. Um, because everybody is pretty like-minded on climbing in the outdoors. Um, I don't know if you can hear that in the background, but this audio might be terrible by the way. No, it's all good. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, my roommates are just like apparently breaking things in the kitchen. So, um, it's all good. No, it's yeah. I can barely, I heard it a little bit, but it's not a big deal. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, it was like the compromise between like good internet and privacy, I guess. No, it's um, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So triple crown and first one is in North Carolina, um, which I was having trouble finding like information on, uh, which I thought was really interesting because I was seeing all of these videos of people climbing these like awesome granite boulders in the middle of the woods and they'd get posted on Instagram and then you'd go and try to find beta or look up guidebooks and there was just absolutely nothing. Uh, so I remember rolling in to Boone, uh, Googled a gear shop and then went into the gear shop and I was like, Hey, what's the deal? I'm here for this competition in a couple of weeks. I just wanted to like sample some of the local rock and boulders like, is there a guidebook or can you point me in the right direction? And the dude just like pointed towards the mountain behind him and was like, yep, it's up there. Good luck. Have fun wandering around the woods. And I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. This is like not the blown up spot. Like the front range is like where I came from, where you know everything's posted online. You can watch like micro beta videos on like every boulder and how to hold which handhold and whatever. This is like, the local scene, some people posted some stoked clips on social media that got out a little bit and drew me in, but then you get there and they didn't want to share and there was no information on it. Um, and I felt pretty like pushed, pushed away from the climbing community, which was like a really weird feeling. I hadn't like experienced that a whole lot at the time. Um, and so I went to the little bit that was posted online, climbed for a couple days went back to that gear shop, tried a couple more times to get information from different people. And then they kind of realized that I wasn't just passing through and invited me to a party. But luckily one of the local developers has every year and happened to be in the first week of me being there. And, uh, there was like 200 climbers. Uh, there was bouldering at the party. There was like live music and, you know, people dancing in the woods and just like all kinds of crazy fun stuff. And from like going to that party forward, they were like, okay, like, you're hanging out, you're living in your car, you're kind of like doing the thing, like we respect you and we'll take you climbing and show you all this like super cool stuff. And I was there for the next few weeks 
uh, ended up doing the competition. Like, I think I was in like the intermediate class, probably like ranked in like the middle of it, nothing serious. But uh, one of the most fun couple of weeks I had on my entire trip, because once I got like invited into like the inner circle, if you will, of bouldering, like it, it was like some of like the best rock I climbed on uh, out there. And you could be climbing with people uh, that were locals that were climbing V3 all the way up to like V14. And they were all just as stoked. They just didn't want their like local boulders to get like overrun basically, which I, I respect. Like I can definitely understand that. Yeah, totally. I mean, the resources are getting scarce uh, as much as the sport's growing. It's just going to get worse, I think too. So I, For under- sure. I understand the secrecy a little bit yeah the secrecy i kind of love it and hate it at the same time i'm out west now i live like outside of zion and we have a lot of like secrecy in this area um and a lot of stuff that is overrun and overloved and so you can kind of like see see why it's kept secret but at the same time you know who are we to keep things secret i guess and some people would argue like people that want to find it should just go wander around and find it but it, it is pretty interesting to these days I can like get out on Google earth and go hike out to a cliff band and you think it's new or has never been touched. And then you get out there and it's like a developed crag. Just nobody talks about it. Yeah. I mean, I would would say the best way to find secret things is networking like, like you did, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely lucky to be there at the right time. Like the initial impression was like, yeah, get out of here. We don't want to talk to you. And then I was like, I'm, I'm living in my Honda Fit. Like, I just want to climb the rocks and like, I'll be here anyways. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, fine, we'll show you stuff. And then, you know, I ended up yeah. meeting people there that I ran into in Waco Tanks in Texas and out in Bishop, California and like all over the country. So it was pretty interesting to be one of the first places I traveled to and like got invited into it and met, I would say like lifelong friends from that area, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Or even just like acquaintances that you yeah. still like run into all the time. Yeah. And so, okay, when where did you go after that? Or after um, the, so I was trying to do like yeah. a big spiral through the United States. So I went from Colorado to Kentucky, through the Southeast, um, after North Carolina. I went to Tennessee, Chattanooga, um, did a bunch of bouldering there. It was like similar vibes. Um, but also a little bit different. So they had a bunch of secret spots, but then they have a bunch of like public climbing that was on golf courses, which I thought was super weird. It was definitely like just a clash between public and private land, uh, over on the East coast. Like you kind of got to take what you can get out there. Um, and there was like some climbing on a hunting reserve and some climbing on a golf course and some climbing on a dude's ranch. And it was interesting, all the hoops that you had to jump through to go climbing down there. Uh, but it is like, you know, some of the best, some of the strongest sandstone in the country, which is pretty wild. It, it's pretty reminiscent of like Fontainebleau in France and uh, really, really cool stuff when you can get on it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, from there, I went back to Texas. Um, I was out of money. So when I left Colorado, I actually like had a, a pretty good job and was making decent money, but was also graduating college at the same time and I was paying my way through. So. By the time I graduated college, quit my job and moved into my car, I only had $2,000 to my name um, and was able to make that last with some little side gig work that I was doing here and there until uh, that winter. So about four or five months later. Um, and then uh, 
uh, my dad hired me to clear some acreage on his farm in Texas over the winter time. So I went and ran a chainsaw for most of the winter while I saved up money until about February, I was able to head out west. Wow. $2,000 for four or five months. That's yeah, uh, that was pretty epic. Um, uh, living in the Honda Fit, um, you spend very little money on gas, which is really nice. So you definitely like sacrifice some comfort for some uh, drivability and like good gas mileage. But I was also able to do um, Postmates out of my Honda Fit. So when I headed out east i would stop in major towns along my way to different climbing areas and i would do postmates for like two or three days and make a couple hundred bucks here and there and then continue on um and i think i mean i think i did that like four or five times i did a little bit in atlanta a little bit in charlotte uh but that was about it and i pretty quickly realized that that sucked and that's kind of where i started doing the you know the manual labor work along the way clearing clearing trees for my dad um and then I did some like moving gigs that I found on like Craigslist when I headed out west as well. That was pretty weird, but I don't know. There's like ways to like earn a little bit of money here and there if your bills aren't very high. And living in a Honda Fit, my bills were usually five hundred to a thousand dollars a month, including gas and food. Back then, probably be more like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars now, I guess. Yeah, totally. I mean, gas is more expensive. Things are more expensive. Yeah, now. for sure. I mean, I remember like back then, like filling up a gas tank at like a dollar or something in Texas. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not quite like that anymore. No, no, not anymore. And the that's why they're yeah. still really cheap, and they still get thirty-five to forty of a gallon. So, I always laugh. It's tempting to buy another one of those things. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you? Um, make your way to Moab when I met you. Well, I, I think there's more before that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, basically traveled around all over the United States, hit pretty much all of the major climbing destinations. Um, actually went all the way up to Alaska and back. Um, and was really just like trying to find like a smaller town with a lot of outdoor opportunity um, that would have somewhere that I could like work and sustain and like, you know, build life. So I wasn't like interested in like super touristy areas where like you couldn't afford to buy a house like ever. Um, and, uh, not a town that was so small that you like couldn't get a job. So I was kind of looking for something in between. Um, and after I drove around all over the place, I found a lot of really cool people and places and, you know, had ideas of where I wanted to live, but wasn't like really set on anything. Um, and I just ran out of money again <laughs> and was like looking for jobs and major climbing destinations that were a little further south. Cause I was at the end of the summer. So it was about September, October time. Things started getting cold. So I was looking for jobs in the desert. Um, I applied for a glamping job and which is just like a fancy tent hotel in Moab. And then, um, I was applying for some places in Bishop and the place in Moab just got back to me first. Um, they offered me the job over the phone on my like first interview and they basically offered me the job as soon as my bank account hit completely zero, which is <laughs> kind of how I'd like filled up my car. I bought groceries and I think I had like less than $20 in my checking account. And all of these jobs were like about to get back to me kind of all over the country. And they hit me up first. I had $0 on my credit card and I told the guy, he was like, you have the job. When can you be here? And I had just told him that I was in Washington. And I was like, I can be there tomorrow. 
And he was like, wait, aren't you in Washington? And I was like, yeah, I'm in Washington, but I, I can just hop in my car. I'll be there tomorrow and just drove straight to Moab and started working immediately and uh, trying to climb as I could. But like was complete. I was negative by the time I showed up to Moab. So it was kind of wild. Oh, my God. That's like so classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the only like one of the main reasons why I was like comfortable doing that type of thing is because I was in like a Honda Fit with like pretty low miles. I was like, I'm very confident in my vehicle. Um, and I had a decent credit line and was like, okay, I just need to get there and then I can start making money. And they were pretty cool. They were offering like to, you know, pay me day to day for my paycheck if I needed to. And I was like, no, it's fine. Like I can, you know, eat really cheap groceries. <laughs> the grocery store in Moab always had like day old bread and stuff like that. And it's like, there's tons of dirt bags in that town and everybody's kind of used to them. So it's like, they're used to people being really cheap and there's kind of a way to like live in Moab for cheap, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, uh, if you're willing to suffer a little bit, (laughs) you're like getting it done. It's not exactly glamorous, but you can get it done. Yeah. Um, our mutual friend, Sean, basically like the same story showed up with no money and he, he would like go to the red rock bakery in Moab and like grab their like, like butts of, bread that they like threw out and like put sriracha on it and like that was like oh yeah that's like lunch or dinner you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's just you know climbing like the french you get the baguette and go into the woods you get the dale butt and go to the crack house like (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. i don't know if i was ever that broke while traveling but yeah it was (laughs) it was interesting um i mean i would like to not do that again but it is pretty freeing knowing that you can go back to that at any point. Like um, since then, let's see, that was probably five or six years ago now that was around that time frame. And uh, I've definitely like taken some pretty big gambles in my life, like financially starting businesses and, you know, renting a house finally, which has been pretty wild and living in a, school bus for a while that was like a broken down hunk of junk kind of <laughs> um and you just i just always think back i'm like well like i could be broker and like i can live on a couple hundred dollars a month if i need to so it like makes you more willing to like take risk with other things because you're like okay well the worst case scenario is you know i go back to moab and i get day old bread and put some sriracha on it and i can still go climbing every day which is pretty cool yeah seriously it's like well I can go back to that. I could just be a homeless rock climber again. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. I feel like that's like the worst case scenario. And like, I had a lot of fun back then. I definitely like worried a lot less because you're like, oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, I'm waking up and going climbing again. Like, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, the only thing I really have to worry about is if my car breaks down. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to live in a small car, you can get a small, very reliable car for pretty cheap too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if you're like a single person that's you know yep. stoked on that, like yeah, it's like it's a really good option for sure. But, I think these days a lot of people like see the Instagram van life because like it was blowing up back then, but it's blown up even more now. And you look at van life and you're like, wow, that looks so cool, like they look so clean and by the beach and they wake up and there's like a seagull flying by. And in reality, it's like you're in a Walmart parking lot and that seagull is trying to poop on you. And like, you haven't showered in like two weeks 
and all of your laundry is dirty and you forgot to have a dirty laundry bin. So it's just scattered around the thing that you're living in. Like it's definitely not as like glamorous as what you see, but once you kind of like settle into being okay with not being glamorous, it is really freeing. Like it is like super cool and rewarding. Yeah. And Um, you're like, yeah, sometimes you're like away from a bathroom and you're like, well, pooping in the bag again. And then you got like the poop that's in the bag, like behind your, um, like back tires yeah, you don't want sure. it in the I thing mean, and, yeah. a lot of people uh we i like own a new and used gear shop now in laverkin outside of zion and you know wag bags are a big like leave no trace aspect in the desert mm-hmm. and we're like introducing people to what wag bags are and why you can't just like dig a hole and let your toilet paper go or whatever like none of us want to run into that um and it's funny to see their faces like oh my god you're gonna go in a bag like and then you have to hike it out with you. And I'm like, yeah, little do you know, like four poops fit in a wag bag pretty comfortably. <laughs> you need to. <laughs> like, it's like not even like that bad. Like, if you're going more than four in one bag, it's like you're, you're roughing it. But four in a bag is like, I would say somewhat normal for long periods of time in the desert. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I think it's so funny. I've sat around a bunch of campfires, like traveling across the country. And for whatever reason, rock climbers always come back to talking about poop. And it is. It's pretty classic. Yeah, here we are talking about poop. <laughs> Once again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like back to your point, it's not glamorous, really. But it's you get used to it like pretty quickly. You get used to it. And once you get used to it, you're more willing to like push yourself in other endeavors. So like, you know, since van lifing, I've gone on longer backpacking trips, which I think is pretty cool. Like growing up, we would do single overnights and that's about it. And I'm not doing any like through hiking yet. I mean, I think that'd be interesting maybe in the future, but, um, you know, if something, some objective that I want to do is going to take three, four or five days, like there's no, there's no question. Like it kind of just you know, you're going to be uncomfortable for a little while, but you understand, like you start to understand what you really need in life to survive as opposed to what you want. And those things are very different, but I think they become pretty apparent when you have very little money. Um, and you continue to have very little money because you're chasing what you want to do. Like if you have a goal, you can usually attain it if you're willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. I mean, climbing in general is uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the main reason why we do it yeah i mean the whole lifestyle yeah. is uncomfortable but it is uh it's like there is something to say about like being comfortable being uncomfortable you know yeah yep yeah i mean climbers call that type two fun or a lot of people in the outdoor world call it type two fun it's like it's not fun in the moment but it's fun to talk about it later yeah yeah you feel like a sense of accomplishment later you're like oh cool i like like overcome this adversity or overcame this like hard thing you know yeah it um that's very true yeah it's a big reason why we like you know push ourselves and like do these things yeah no it's amazing so you so you left the honda fit when did you meet cindy in this story Um, i met cindy in tucson so that was the winter before i met you um yeah yeah so I went to, oh, so I went to Moab first, was super broke, worked at the glamping company, um, 
got some money in my pocket, but not much. Didn't know what I wanted to do in the wintertime. Ended up working for the glamping company down in Tucson. Met my now partner there. We were the only uh, rock climbers or like people that did technical activities. She was pretty big into canyoneering at the time uh, and rock climbing, but um, we were the only people that did technical activities that worked there. And then we ended up spending a bunch of time together uh, climbing down to Kochi Stronghold and basically both committed to different jobs over that summer and said if we kept in touch that we would meet back up. And we did. So we met back up in Moab that following fall. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I first went to. I, uh, I was working with Cindy at the Moab Gear Trader and she was like, oh, my boyfriend climbs. I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I think she was just trying to like find me climbing partners, which was pretty cool. And then I ended up like frequenting the Gear Trader and meeting a bunch of people that worked there, but primarily you and Sean and y'all were both coming from the valley and stoked on climbing and didn't really know too many people in the area. And I felt like we all kind of just like hung out with like similar people, like Moab kind of like attracts like hippies and dirtbags and stuff and rock climbers. Um, but a lot of the time it's just for like one season. So a lot of the locals aren't like always trying to hang out with those people because they know that we're just kind of coming and going. Uh, but there's a whole community of those people that are in that area that are always coming and going. And I feel like they end up hanging out with each other. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think I was in Moab for like a year. Yeah. That, that time, I think I was in Moab before as well. And then I like came back. Yeah, I came back because I went from like Yosemite Valley, Moab, Yosemite Valley, then Moab, and that's where I met you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a bit of back and forth there too, so it kind of sometimes bleeds together. But I feel like that's pretty, pretty normal for the Moab scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, you you bought your bus there. I remember. I remember you like yeah. showing up to the Gear Trader with like this like kind of haggard looking bus. Like, oh we're gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah the bus was pretty interesting so i lived in the honda fit met cindy we were keeping in touch and she was like you're cool would love to you know keep doing what we're doing but i'm not gonna live in a honda fit with you <laughs> and i was like yeah fair there's not exactly enough room for two people in a honda fit for any extended period of time but we didn't have a ton of money so we were shopping for like larger options that weren't expensive and i found this bus in colorado springs which is where I went to school, so I still had friends there. And I had some friends that were, like, in the Jeep community there that, like, had, like, owned shops and, like, did off-roading and were, like, fairly mechanically inclined. And so I saw it was for sale, and I called one of my buddies and was like, hey, can you go take a look at this bus for me? Um, it's, like, 1800 bucks. It says it runs and drives. Like, if that's true, that would be awesome. And he was like, okay, I'll go check it out. And he, like, drove it for me, and he was like, I mean, it's pretty rough, but it moves. I was like, would you drive it to Moab? And he's like, man, I don't know, but you could try if you wanted to. I was like, okay, screw it. We're going to buy it. And so I bought it and he put it in his driveway for like four months until I could go and try to pick it up, uh, which was very cool of him. But then I went to go and try and pick it up and I'd like drove it around the block and like the exhaust fell off of it. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this is worse than I thought. And I was like, well, I could like just drive it without an exhaust because you can do that with gas cars. They're just really loud. But this thing was diesel and it created like weird back pressure in the motor that I didn't really understand at the time. And you can't <laughs> you, like really can't drive a diesel without an exhaust um, unless it's like tuned properly. But uh, basically I had to, I 
drove all the way to Colorado Springs, tried to pick it up and then drive it to Moab. And that did not work. So I ended up dropping it off at a shop and then they did some work on it, put a new exhaust on it. And then I had to go back and then drive it to Moab. So it took like multiple tries to go and try to pick it up, but finally got it to Moab. Still pretty haggard looking, but on the way we stopped in Grand Junction, uh, bought all of the building supplies that we thought we needed to like make it comfortable and livable. So we bought like a mattress uh, we bought a camping oven, which was pretty cool. And we bought like sink parts so that we could do like a little foot pump sink and then enough wood to build a bed platform and a couch for a crash pad. Um, and it's been getting regulated a lot more, but we drove to Willow Springs outside of Moab, which was like the free camping spot at the time, which I don't know if it's still free. I heard it might be getting it turned into a state park now. I don't think it's free anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's a bummer. Um, we might have had something to do that, but we didn't have any other options. Uh, oh, we bought a battery-powered uh, power tool set in Grand Junction as well, drove it all out, and then would charge batteries at Cindy's work and then drive back out to the desert, and we built everything uh, at Willow Springs in the desert. <laughs> yeah, I remember that time. I think it only took you like a day or two to like build it. Yeah, up. so the deal, it was pretty funny. Cindy was working all fall. And I was like, for the fall, I'm going to build a bus and um, not work. And she was like, yeah, cool. That's going to take you so long. But then all of my friends in the area were like, hey, we should go rock climbing. So I was like, okay, cool. If I can build this bed, then I get to go rock climbing. And so I'd like knock the bed out in a morning or like super late at night. And then the next day we'd go climbing all day. And then Cindy <laughs> was like, hey, what the hell? You're supposed to be like working on the bus. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I built the bed platform. And then the next day, I'd like get dark and I put a headlamp on and I'd go and like build the kitchen and like put the whole like foot pump thing together. And then during the daytime, while the sun is up, I'd be out rock water and then I'd come back and then would like talk to a climbing partner and be like, hey, I can't go climb with you until I do this. And then they would drop what they're doing and help me build that uh, little project so that we could go climb something. Yes, I was one of those climbing partners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of back and forth there. And like, it was, it was pretty cool, but we definitely, we got it done. And I'm definitely proud to say, like, there was some serious shenanigans there, and you would think that we were just dropping, like, wood scraps and paint all over the place, but we did a full Leave No Trace building project, so. Yeah, I remember when you were painting it, you put, like, a ton of tarps down, and was it windy that day, I think? We did most of the painting when it wasn't windy, um, but a windstorm came in, I think, right after we finished, um... And it didn't like sandblast the thing or anything, which was good. So like the paint actually lasted until it's like starting to flake off now, um, like five years later. But it, it lasted for a while for sure. Yeah, my van's also flaking off already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, when you paint it with Rust-Oleum, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, they don't even make that paint anymore. <laughs> You're not allowed uh, to mix Rust-Oleum anymore. <laughs> that's a bummer, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like deemed toxic now. So, <laughs> oh, cool! My van's completely filled with it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah, I need to repaint the thing with something. I don't know. It's all flaking off and being weird. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, got <laughs> it's got character. Oh, t- yeah, it's got character. <laughs> that freaking thing, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I still love it. I love that van so much. But um, yeah, so, and then you're selling it now, aren't you? Yeah, the bus is for sale. Um, so Cindy and I have been in Southern Utah in the Zion area for the past like 
four to five years now. Um, we're pretty, a lot more stable. You know, there's a, a savings account. Whoa. <laughs> um, wow. I've been, I've been guiding. She owns a store. Um, we're leasing a house. Yeah, things have definitely, like, taken a big, like, whirlwind turn. But I would say the original reason why I said on the road to, like, find a place with, like, a lot of outdoor opportunity and whatnot uh, was successful. So I live outside of Zion and I can climb every day. It's not raining, basically, even some days when it is raining because we've got limestone, basalt and sandstone here. Um, and you can climb up at 10,000 feet in elevation in the summertime. And you can climb down at 2000 feet in elevation in the wintertime. So there's tons of options, which is definitely what I was looking for. Yeah. I mean, Zion is amazing. Of course. It, yeah. That's, it's pretty much got cool. everything. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's kind of same thing. You're willing to suffer a little bit. There's always something to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we lived in Zion together for a while, and I I think the thing that enchanted me the most is the canyons for sure. Yeah, like, yeah, the canyons are cool. That's definitely like I would say, besides Moonlight Buttress, why most people come here um, is for the canyons. Yeah, totally. I mean canyoneering is like so amazing it's like you're like repelling into this like little slice of the earth that's just like incredibly beautiful yeah it's pretty wild um i definitely think of it as like just a new way to explore um there's like a whole culture and like scene um around canyoneering particularly in this area which is like you know take it or leave it it's pretty interesting um similar to climbing but obviously different um you're just like using tools in different ways rope supply in a similar way but different um yeah it's definitely an interesting way to explore and it takes you to places that like climbing or hiking or like really any other hobby like wouldn't take you to um i would say that that's like the most interesting aspect of it it's like one of the more one of the newer ways to explore in my opinion um as opposed to like you know climbing has a, a much more colorful history, a much longer history than canyoneering. Uh, even caving in some regards has like a larger history than canyoneering. Um, but yeah. the, canyons, the canyons, particularly in like sandstone destinations, they're just like one after another. There's thousands and thousands to pick from. Yeah. And it's like, it's sort of secretive as well, probably because of like, well, you, you know, like we were saying earlier, like people try to hide things. Canyons, definitely people try to hide. Yeah, similar in like the rock climbing aspect, but I would almost say like even more so. Like there's like almost like greater lengths um, where people are hiding things. Some of them are on like private property or they like toe the line on private property. Um, some people will just say they're on private property so that they don't have to like publish them or share them. Um, you name it. There's been like so many aspects on people trying to like hide their little secret canyons, which I don't know. It's the same thing with like the boulders or the you know, sport routes or whatever people try to protect what they find near and dear. And, uh, I think it's like, it's cool and lame at the same time. <laughs> Cause when you see something that's really cool, like my first reaction is like to want to share it, to like show people like, Oh, this is so cool. This climb is so fun. This boulder is so fun. You should try it. Um, or this Canyon is so pretty. You should see it. And I guide now, so that makes sense that that's my mentality. But if you just do it for fun, you are looking to experience those things 
probably more than once how you just experienced it. And uh, for a lot of people, that's like having these like wilderness experiences where they were by themselves out there. They were with a particular group of friends. They didn't see other people and they want to continue to have that. Um, which is fair. Those like first initial experiences in canyons, like when you first see um, these particular sandstone formations, like you don't want to come back and see that again with a hundred people. That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, people hate people. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, yeah. Particularly in like small communities or like small hobbies, um, small communities. Yeah, especially in wilderness as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same way. Like, I don't want to see other people particularly unless they're like moving quickly and are nice. But the one thing I hate is like, okay, like, yes, I have a wetsuit on, but I'm like in cold water waiting for oh, you to yeah. rig the repel and like you're not doing it quick enough i'm like i hate you <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah yeah getting like trapped in a situation i would say i like more regularly run into that at like blay anchors in like popular climbing areas like we like to go down to red rock in the winter time and it's like very popular in the winter time and you know the red rock climbing scene is not hidden people aren't hiding climbs from each other particularly like trade routes um, so you can go and try to do a trade route on a sunny winter day. Um, and there could be half a dozen parties on the same route and you're having to share and work around. And if there's one group that maybe is learning, maybe it's their first multi-pitch or something like that, like they're slowing down everybody on the entire wall. So it's you know, understandable. Yeah. Um, that can I stop. think that just comes with like education though. Like there was like maybe easier education or like an understanding of like, Hey, you probably shouldn't do this activity until you do X, Y, and Z. Then maybe we could have, you know, those six groups working together and be more cohesive. I think that's more of a idealistic perspective, I guess, but yeah, totally dude. I mean, like my local climbing area, cause I live in Tahoe is lover's leap. And you know, like one time we were on a, uh, one of the most classic five sevens probably ever corrugation corner. I do it. I spent like five hours just like on the first pitch ledge, like waiting for these people to complete a five, seven pitch. Just, oh my God. Yeah. Like how yeah, can that's you like a huge going? Bummer. <laughs> that's a huge bummer, particularly because like, you know, that's like well within like your soloing ability. So when you're like sitting there with like a rope and everything and you're like, well, I could just get out of here but I came here to climb this because it's classic and I want to do it. Like that's a bummer that it's taking forever. Yeah. I mean, those guys were nice, but they obviously like had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, very similar in the canyons, except that you could be getting hypothermia while you're waiting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's when I get mad <laughs> when I'm yep. like, well, you're endangering my life. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's totally understandable. Yeah. I think that was, Particularly, that was in Keyhole Canyon, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty classic. Somebody was just in the shop today. I was chatting with them, and they said they got stuck behind a group of 15 that had a dog, and they would let them pass, and they went hypothermic, Uh, which for those of you that don't know, that is larger than the wilderness capacity for a permit that you're supposed to have to do Keyhole, and animals, pets, are not allowed in there. (laughs) Yeah, so breaking all the rules. They were breaking all the rules. (laughs) Yeah, I think I brought a dog through a canyon one time, Morocco Canyon in in the North Wash, and I will never do that again. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it goes well if they, like, you know, it's just like people, if they have a lot of experience and have been introduced into it well, then you can kind of just 
put a dog on a lowering system and send them down the rappel and it's very easy. Um, but if they're a large dog and they're freaking out, which I think is kind of what happened to you, then you're just creating like more challenges that are very unnecessary. Yeah, it was very unnecessary. Like we did not need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, we put him on a on a dead man anchor, and yeah, it moved. It was like not that good. Sketch. That's super sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I like had to put like a bunch of rocks on it, so it didn't move. But <laughs> so anybody that's listening, a dead man anchor is essentially a thing that you tie a rope around, and then you put rocks on it, so it doesn't move and usually that's okay for um most like body weight purposes but Mm -hmm. if it moves it's real scary and yeah they're definitely not supposed to move like if one moves that was built wrong (laughs) or it's old and needs to be rebuilt it was yeah it was old and needed to be rebuilt which i did but yeah yeah that's definitely been something that's been interesting the longer i've been here the more like okay i've been was like you know, the different, like, canyoneering tactics, um, releasable anchor systems. That's something we don't use in rock climbing. Dead men anchors are re- typically reserved for, like, snow um, in mountaineering contexts. Bullards and stuff I always remind me of dead man's. Um, and then, like, cairn anchors are pretty sketchy. But uh, then we're getting into releasable-style anchors using uh, natural equipment, so, like, ghosting techniques. So... We're getting into like sand traps and like water traps this year. It's been pretty exciting. That's cool. So wait, how do you use a water trap? So a water trap um, is basically a big bag and you put as much water in it as you can. Typically you're getting it from uh, like a pothole that already has water. And then the rappel that you're trying to do has like a rolling lip coming out of a hole and then going down the other side. And then you rig a toggle or a releasable anchor system to one side of your bag, your water trap, you rappel off the other side. Once everybody is down, then you pop your releasable anchor system. It drops the one side of the bag, releases all the water, and then you can pull the whole bag down. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's basically, you do the same thing with a sand trap, but instead of using water, you're using dirt or sand or whatever you have you're getting into the weeds of the yeah that's pretty much like as technical i would say as canyoneering anchors get and then um the next the opposite direction and the most technical side of canyoneering is basically uh, more or less free soloing which is like high stemming um and so if you're using releasable anchor systems like sand traps or water traps or you're high stemming that's basically uh, as difficult as canyoneering gets yeah yeah but i feel like it's still not as scary as rock climbing i mean it kind of goes both ways like if you're doing like a really technical high stemming section it's basically free soloing um if you're doing really technical anchors it's kind of on the same level as like hard aid climbing i would say um sort of it's yeah. like scarier and less scarier at the same time. Cause if you build your anchor, right, it can be like super bomber and strong, like a sand trap or a water trap it can be rather bomber and rather strong as opposed to like, if you're hooking for like 80 feet, like that's really scary. But if everything goes correct, you could take an 80 foot fall and survive. But if you build the wrong sand trap, 
you're just going to fall down the entire rappel. So, Ouch. There's minimal to less backup in those like high technical canyoning situations. Yeah, so it's yeah, kind of similar to like... Depending, depending on group size, because you can back up the sand traps and water traps with people. Yeah, totally. No, I've done yeah. that before too. Like that's that's the funny thing about canyoning. Sometimes you can just repel off your friend. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it works really well. <laughs> it does um, actually, yeah. You it like totally really freaks people out. Um I'll blame people regularly on myself in canyons. And yeah, like if you're sat in the right position you can easily hold somebody your weight or significantly more. Yeah, no, I've done it before too. Like you just brace yourself really well and you barely feel it. Like you feel it, yeah. but it's not like super gnarly. No, it, it would be like if you were trying, you know, if somebody weighs two hundred pounds, it's like putting a two hundred pound backpack on. It's like you can you can stand it for sure. Um it's not comfortable, but or like having like a two hundred pound like bag on you or something. Yeah, yeah, but like you're not getting pulled down really. It's just like you gotta totally, yeah. you have to like brace it with your strength. Yeah, yeah I, I mean yeah, good stuff yeah. for sure. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like you, you can usually bench like more than you weigh easily, or like you that know. Doesn't, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'll get more than that way. <laughs> but I also don't like bench regularly. But I can, I can stand holding how much I weigh for sure, and a lot more. I guess, yeah, maybe not bench, but like you can yeah. lift something that you weigh. Yeah, I mean, for a hip play though, like you're not even having to lift it; you're just like having it on your body. So it's like. Yeah, no. It's, yeah, it's you, easy. You, yeah, it takes very little strength if you do it right, for sure. Yeah, you don't think it's going to work, but it totally works. <laughs> yeah, it's just manipulating friction. I mean, that's all like repelling is. <laughs> like most of canyoneering is just manipulating friction. So. Yeah, it is crazy. Like how many things like you and me have trusted for like repelling, <laughs> like death scenario things, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, looking back, definitely possibly. But the more you do it, and the more you like build those anchors and stuff the more you trust them and know you can get away with them for sure yeah they just take a long time sometimes you're like oh man i have to like dig this whole hole and wrap this thing around this thing and then bury it and then i still have the whole canyon in front of me how many more times do i have to do this you know like measuring time on natural anchors is pretty important um i would say yeah okay so you're you're in leverkin yep you're um what do you do for work? Like, um, yeah, so um, I've been guiding for guiding rock climbing, primarily canyoneering, but a bit of both um, for the past like three to four years now, I guess. Um, I just started a new company with a friend. Um, we're working out in other areas, so um, not just in the Zion area, but also out here like Lake Powell and, and Bryce and Escalante, and that's where like a lot of these like natural anchors and releasable anchor systems have been coming in. Um, so kind of just like expanding on the local endeavor. And then, uh, my partner, Cindy, she's been owning and operating a new and used gear shop down here. Um, and has been doing that for the past year and a half now. So. Yeah, that's cool. I know I've been meaning to like come out there and see the shop. <laughs> it looks yeah. like you guys, you guys are stocking like amazing things. It looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of wild. Like, we just try to stock the things that, like, we use. Um, so, like, canyon packs that we like, ropes that we like, climbing equipment that we like. 
um, and people come through and ask for our opinion on things. And it's pretty fun to be able to be like, oh, I use this piece of equipment in this scenario and you're going down that canyon or you're going to get on that rock climb. Um, and people definitely appreciate it. Like when we're the ones behind the counter, um, some dude actually just bought like a whole rack of totems today <laughs> Not because I like was like, you need the whole rack. I was like, you need the green one. And he was like, I'll just take the whole set. I was like, okay. I mean, you'll like them. That's for sure. And like, I definitely appreciate my totems in, in Zion for aid climbing. Yeah. No, totems are, when you have a totem in below you, you're like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I rarely leave it below me because I always want to take it with me. But yeah. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. But like, <laughs> if, if you're in like a scary scenario and you're like, I need this right here. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. But yeah, no. Yeah. Usually the, the method is like aid on the totems, then leave a, a black diamond or something below tcus it. tcus have actually been working really well like old school three lobes which i think is really funny because it feels like super retro to use tcus and i can buy them used all the time because we do new and used gear so like you can get them for super cheap but um i've been calling them the cheap totems lately the three lobe tcus i think i own a couple of those yeah I, I mean, if you don't want them, let me know. <laughs> uh, no, I I want all my cams. <laughs> I'm not selling any of those. Thank you. Yeah, I would say the quality definitely goes like totems, three-lobe TCUs, and then tri-cams if you really have to. Yeah. How do aliens work in sense? I don't know. They're okay, but they're but... still like four-lobe. Like their cam profile is like a little bit wider. They are more like flexible, but... Um, which is like pretty, pretty nice. But the reason that I like the TCUs is because you have almost a natural offset placement without it being offset with the three lobes. And that's a little bit more cohesive to like these pins cars in sandstone. They get like really blown out and really big very quickly. And they create these like weird little pods. So, um, you're trying to get like as narrow of a head profile as possible. Um, so like the, the black diamond is like super in the weeds, but like the black diamonds are surprisingly wide or like dragons are surprisingly wide. Um, and then as you get down into like a tri-cam, let's say like a tri-cam is like skinnier left to right. Um, the depth of the crack doesn't matter as much on a tri-cam. And then it doesn't matter as much on a three lobe as opposed to a four lobe because there's less lobes next to each other. And then it doesn't matter on a totem because you can weight only two of the lobes. So the skinniest profile you can get is a totem. Um, but sometimes the other lobes on the outside can like knock it loose. Um, so there's a little bit of back and forth. There's definitely places where like, you know, tricams work and totems don't or TCUs work and totems don't. Um, so it's just like good to have a variety. But those are the three that I've, I've enjoyed lately. Yeah, dude. You should try some offset aliens sometime. I have a set. Well, offsets. Like... So off, straight up offset any cams. Offset aliens in particular are really good, but like offsets are the next best things. You just have to have like a whole set of cams for the offset. So I would say these are the best without buying offset cams. Yeah, dude. I mean, I uh, I climbed the Lost Arrow Direct not last. Was it last summer? I don't know. Something like that in Yosemite and the there was like a pitch where like nothing worked at all like i had like a whole set of totems and a whole set of uh offset aliens and like there was pretty much no way to make the move without an offset alien 
So totally. were uh, the totems too big? I ran into they that. Just, in they just didn't grab it good enough. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. this really weird pin scar. It was like a, like a horizontal pin scar thing. Oh, and okay. It protected this like really, really scary mantle move. And like there was a pin below me, I thought. So like, I don't know if I blew that move, I would probably take like a huge fall. Um, yeah. And yeah, like that was the only thing I could find to fit. So nice. I don't like I don't know how you would make that move without like the offset alien. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, the biggest problem I've been running into with like that current set that I've been using is the the totems aren't always small enough. Um they only go down to the black, which like isn't always that small. So the next thing I want to get is a set of ball nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are funny. Yeah, they're pretty wild, but man, they're tiny. Smallest active pro on the market. Like They've got the nice little brass heads. You can really crush it if you need to. Um, they're pretty yeah. legit. You could probably use brassies for that too, though. Maybe. Yeah, you can. But man, having a little active action on a, instead of having to use a brassy is a lot more inspiring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brassies break a lot of sandstone. When you're placing that small, like sandstone will break. Yeah. I mean, most of my aid climbing has been in like bomb granite. So. Yeah, <laughs> mine's mostly in Chossie Sandstone. <laughs> my first time yeah. climbing was in the Fishers. So. Oh my god. Yo, wait. <laughs> Did you... You tried Finger of Fate, didn't you? Yeah, we got up like five pitches, and then my climbing partner decided he had to be at work the next day, and we bailed. Huh. Oh yeah, I think I remember that story. That was, that was kind of a bummer. I've been getting into rope soloing a little bit lately, though, so I'm kind of interested in going back and soloing it. Oh god. <laughs> 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 you, you masochists! I would never do that. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to suffer on your own. Yeah. So anybody listening, the Fisher Towers are notoriously basically like solidified mud, and it's all just like extremely crumbly. Not, uh, not like well, I mean, that's safe. You don't need to undersell it that much. I mean, it's the world's best mud. <laughs> it's the world's best mud crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there have been fixed pieces in there for like, you know, a long time. Actually, like, it's pretty impressive how long some of those fixed pieces have been in. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, a podcast I did with a uh, Mason Deschamp. He went with, he went with Brad Gobright to try to free it. <laughs> he told the story about Brad just ripping like seven pieces. And, yeah. and just like uh we should bail <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah. yeah there was when I, we were trying it there was a guy trying to free it below us we were fixing his rope for him and he was like trying to work out moves uh on rope solo on top rope solo um but yeah free climbing there looks like i mean I don't know. I think big climbing kind of like canyoneering, like you're kind of just like doing it to get up the thing to like experience the area. Um, but like free climbing out there looks way scarier and definitely less fun. Yeah, I think it'd be easier to break things for sure. Break like rock and rip pieces and stuff by like shock loading things. But body, like most of it, I wouldn't say most feels like body weight. But when you're only putting your body weight on it, it's more inspiring than climbing 10 feet above a piece and looking down and being like, oh, that piece of mud is going to hold, like, me taking a 10-foot fall on this? That's kind of scary. 
Yeah. No, dude, the fishes are terrifying. I mean, <laughs> I could be convinced, but uh, I'd have to be really stoked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's the largest freestanding tower in the world or North America. It's one of those, but it's it's a big one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a journey for sure. Yeah. I remember thinking like it wasn't terrible. I bet if we went out there, we could knock it out in a day for sure. You think so? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm like fairly confident of that. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, uh, you did lunar ecstasy on, uh, with Tori, like, yeah. I did. Yeah, we actually did it on the lunar eclipse, so that was pretty wild. Um, yeah, we didn't have glasses, so we didn't really get to enjoy it, but it definitely got weirdly dark <laughs> while I was on lead. Um, so that was interesting. I was kept taking my sunglasses off and putting them back on at the same time, and was like taking my puffy off and putting it back on. It was very bizarre. Um, we weren't in like the totality range, so it didn't get dark enough to where I needed to put a headlamp back on and animals weren't really doing weird things. Um, I have experienced a, an eclipse up in Idaho in totality like six or seven years ago. Um, and when it goes fully dark, it's wild. You're like almost needing a headlamp and you're putting jackets on and like you hear animals start doing weird things cause they kind of start freaking out. And this wasn't the case, but it was definitely neat to be on lunar ecstasy during a lunar eclipse, lunar eclipse, solar eclipse. Or the yeah, sun so, <laughs> so could you uh, tell people like what lunar ecstasy kind of is? Yeah. So it's one of kind of the less done trade routes for aid climbing in Zion. So it's right next to moonlight buttress, which for a long time was a very popular aid climb. Um, people pulling on gear to go up the wall instead of using their hands and feet. Uh, but it has been free climbed a lot at this point. Um, and putting gear on the sandstone can kind of destroy the sandstone. So a lot of people that want to free climb Moonlight Buttress encourage people to not aid it anymore, which it is still aid climb and climbed, but there's just a little bit of a battle between aid climbers and free climbers there. And we didn't want to destroy any rock and we were looking to go aid climbing. So we decided to do Lunar Ecstasy kind of counterpart and there's definitely it's been free climbed as well but i believe only like once or twice and there's i i have no idea how people climbed it i don't know if there was like an alternate route that they took a little bit for a pitch or two but there's a good you know 20 or 30 feet on the route in the sections that we did that looked absolutely impossible to free climb and then other sections that just looked like really hard um but it was my first wall on the day here in zion so it was really cool um we started right at about sunrise about 7 a.m we summited topped out the cliff at like 8 p.m or so which was just after dark i climbed the last pitch in the dark um but yeah it was a lot of fun that route is equipped really well and if anyone has the abilities to do it instead of doing moonlight like i would highly recommend it all the anchors are glue-ins very modern strong anchors um and you could hang a portal edge at any anchor as well so you could sleep on round if you wanted to because uh, they replaced all of the piton portal edge anchors and have glue in portal edge bolts now which is cool yeah have you you haven't slept on a wall have you i have um on a tower it was like we did it just for fun um oh, yeah. <laughs> most of the walls in zion are like shorter uh, so you can either do them in a day or what i've mostly done is fixed and fired walls um so climb the first like two or three pitches attach your ropes rappel down sleep in your bed, eat a real meal. 
and then come back out early in the morning, climb the ropes up, and then finish the route. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know. Like, we tried, uh, what was the thing? We tried the, uh, the touchstone wall. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty up. funny. That's one of the only <laughs> ones I, like, haven't been able to do, and it's, like, one of the easiest climbs, like, easiest aid climbs. A lot of people start with it. <laughs> Climbed, like, multiple C3 routes now, and still haven't been to the top of touchdown. <laughs> yeah. That day was wild. It was, like, so windy, and I remember you... I got to the anchor and you were like almost asleep because you got that COVID shot. <laughs> yeah, the second COVID shot rocked me for sure. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, I mean, I got the shot like later and I had to go to work and I felt like the same as you. I was like, oh my God, like how did he even? Like... <laughs> I think I was asleep at the anchor at one point. <laughs> you just showed up and I had just woken up. I was not playing. He was jugging, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not. Yeah, no, he fixed it and then went to sleep. <laughs> I did my responsibilities and then I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, and then I set off on that like five ten pitch and it was just so windy and I didn't have enough gear and I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and like you were like, no, let's fail. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not feeling this either. And then we went to rappel and our like we had to saddle back our ropes because it was so windy. We almost got stuck too. It almost got stuck. Yeah, that was uh, kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we're like almost at an hour. Do you want to like keep talking or? Uh, it's up to you. I mean, got any more questions? I mean, I'm enjoying the conversation. Don't really have anything to do. So, but oh, yeah. I know you you have something to do later, don't you? Uh, I gotta make some dinner, and then I got a friend coming over. But yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm on the tail end of the season here out at Zion, so I'm not doing too much more guiding and. We're going to start closing the shop, I think, four days a week, and Cindy and I are just going to focus on going out and having fun. Um, we just reached out to the Grand Canyon to get some wilderness permits. We're going to go run some, some canyons out there, I think, of, on some like longer multi-day trips. Sweet. That yeah, that's cool. really pretty cool. That is a not a very popular place to explore, so we're excited to get out there. As we have graduated from the bus and the Honda Fit, we now have a four-wheel drive truck. Um, and that just like opens up the world so much more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Grand Canyon only gets like, you know, like the main trails, you know, a lot yeah, of the main trails are like some of the most popular, but, um, I haven't done too much exploring out there, so I can't really say how busy it is, but I definitely don't hear people talk about it as much as like, you know, the canyons in Zion and Escalante and these more popular areas. Um, but I've seen a handful of pictures and I found some, you know, Gaia tracks on forms and, or not Gaia tracks, but K, KML files on, on forms. And I've been downloading them to Gaia and stuff and checking out what other people have done. And there's, they're pretty epic. They're a lot bigger and longer. Like it's harder to get out to the canyons and then running them is, you know, people are going in with bolts a lot less frequently. So you're having to use some of those more technical tactics. Um, and a lot of the, recommended time frames are like two to four days um so like a lot of the canyons in zion you can kind of go and run and you know have a beer at the brewery by like 5 p.m <laughs> uh but these days out at the grand canyon are going to be more like multi-day stuff and it's kind of almost mixing like backpacking and canyoneering into one and feeling more like an expedition or like almost like a wall objective in that regard so um yeah looks interesting we're just going to kind of dabble this winter and see how it goes 
yeah dude i know i've the uh the beta is like quite cryptic in there i think i've looked it up too um, yeah i believe like there's a lot that you're not supposed to do or not allowed to do is my understanding and then there's some that you can get permits for and some not and then there like was a guidebook but it's out of print or something i, I don't know it's it's pretty wild it's the same thing kind of about it like death alley too like a lot of that stuff is pretty low-key yeah well it's like what i've heard is like it's hard to get to uh it takes multiple days getting out is hard um, yep. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah, think but... we have like the smallest elevation gains to get out on the projected route that i have and it's still like three thousand feet of elevation yeah i mean that's a lot you know yeah with like because it takes multiple days now you're carrying canyoneering and backpacking gear yeah 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 dude i mean i did rim to rim and that was brutal <laughs> getting out yeah. of the north room was insane so yeah, yeah i mean i'm sure like every single part of getting out of the grand canyon is probably gnarly <laughs> yeah but that's on like a trail too so i'm I'm a little intimidated on the elevation gain and people don't go out there often so it's i think it's like you know 2500 to 3000 feet of elevation gain like cross country so we'll see how it goes so yeah yeah have you done the rent ram i've not um i've actually never been to the bottom of the grand canyon so if we get our permit this will be my first time down there oh dang i thought you guys got a, a phantom ranch permit I think we had talked about it last winter and it ended up not lining up for some reason. Oh, we were renewing our woofer and I think it didn't line up because of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. Dang, I need to do my woofer again, too. But, I know, uh, right? It sneaks up on you. It's every two years. Like, come on. <laughs> Shit, come on. I still understand it. Yeah. Yeah, press the inReach button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your woofer. Just, uh... <laughs> Uh, oh god stop bleeding yeah. press the panic button like <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more than that but <laughs> yeah yeah the one i gave you died right didn't it it did yeah i killed it in a canyon but i got a mini so I got another one. nice dude i still haven't found mine i think i lost it somewhere in <laughs> in the bottom of zion canyon somewhere i don't know <laughs> yep yep yeah um yeah my woofer my sti is still like another year so that's cool but i think mine's about to expire but i just did my rock odd course last year so that's still active um oh did you did you pass the rock guide uh the course yeah the first one yeah it's like really easy to pass um but yeah i can guide grade two and grade three multi-pitch rock climbing according to the mga oh cool Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did the test and everything too. No, just the course. So the f- there's three steps to the rock guide: um, a ten day course, uh, a ten day course and exam, and then a six day exam. Dang. I took the first step. Dang, nice. But wait, you can still guide with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Yeah, so you can guide grade two unobserved, grade three observed, and then you take the next one, you can guide grade three unobserved, grade four observed, and then you take the exam, and then you can guide everything, grade five and up, or down. That's rad. Yeah, maybe I should think about doing that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're interested in, you know, working with companies and, um, like working in different areas that require it or any, if anybody's requiring any type of education to guide, 
and it's a good program to go through. Yeah, uh, totally. That could be a whole nother conversation. I've, I've done about that. <laughs> that might be a little cheated, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be a whole nother podcast there. Yeah, talking about the MGA. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, my perceptions on it and other people's perceptions on it. I don't know. That'd be pretty hilarious. I could get you some people to talk to. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. Yeah, yeah I actually have a, a couple friends I can put you in contact with um, in this area if you wanted more people to talk to for the podcast. Just like different big things that people have done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always down for more guests for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, any like plans for the future? Are you just gonna stay there forever? You think? Um, I don't know. I mean, we might stay here forever. We might not. Um, we've been looking around at like different opportunities uh, as the new guide company has been building a bit. So, um, we're guiding a lot in like the like Powell area. So. Um, out in like the Canab or Big Water area could be possibilities. Maybe Page. Um, we've been working out about near Escalante and Bryce. So like Tropic is a pretty cool little town that could be an option. But um, I don't know that we're ever gonna like permanently be anywhere forever because we're still taking our winters off. I'm closing the guide company for about three months, and he's gonna close the shop for about a month, and then turn it into like like seasonal hours where we're only open really for like the weekend the rest of the winter. Um, so we're still getting down to Arizona. Um, we're going to the Bahamas with my mom. Um, and we're going to be hitting up like the Grand Canyon and kind of like more rural parts of Utah just to do as much exploring as we can, as long as it's not like terribly cold and wet. Um, but we'll always, I think, take those, take the winter season off, which I think is cool. Yeah, you have property down in uh, Arizona, too. Are you going to go yeah, down there? Yeah, we got uh, one of those Trump checks, and instead of blowing it on a new rack, we bought um, like an acre and a half for like three or four grand. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, it's just sitting down there, but that's that's an option. Yeah, cool. Do you like, are you going to develop anything about that? Or? I don't know. Um, like, we got a little like travel, like a dinky travel trailer, and so we could go and park it on it for a little bit, but um if we wanted to or we could just like park at the stronghold proper which is probably what we'll do um i don't know i could see that being like a retirement thing but one of the only problems down there is like there's some guide work but definitely not enough to live um and i don't know that i would want to like try to drive enough guide work down there to live some people are the climbing scene down there is blowing up man if you want to talk about bolting wars there's definitely some bolting wars going on down there oh god the bolting wars <laughs> <laughs> classic north american problem <laughs> first world problems sure. yeah that's very true. <laughs> yeah so um yeah on, on your property i was thinking about buying some too but there's like kissing bugs or something that that's in the like... summertime um so you can get the chaga disease from them which is pretty wild they uh, basically attack you while you're sleeping and then they bite like around your eyes and there's this bacteria that they leave behind and then that creeps into like your eyes and your nose and stuff and uh basically you die in like it's like 10 or 20 years or something like that just kind of randomly <laughs> wow which is terrifying uh but they're only down there in the summertime there's like a breeding season for them uh, so whenever we go down in the winter time like we don't even think about them we have some friends that live down there 
and uh, they have to use like bug nets on their doors and keep an eye out for them and stuff. That's too stressful. <laughs> yeah, kind of wild. I mean, it gets pretty hot down there too, so like it's a good it's a good seasonal destination, um, but kind of only the diehards live there like year round. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I wonder how many like got bit and didn't know it. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know that everybody down there even knows about it. But um, our friends that live down there like to do a lot of research on the ecology, and they were telling us about it. They're building a a straw bale house down there. Uh, they've been doing construction for the past like four years now on it. They're still living out of their van. Um, so like living in the van down there while the kissing bugs are coming out, I think has been a pretty big challenge for them. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd bail. <laughs> yeah, they usually they usually bail in like the heat of the summer. Go hide in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, I don't know. There's kind of stuff like that everywhere. I mean, we've got, you know, rattlesnakes and tarantulas and scorpions, like, here in the Zion area, which they're in your face a little bit more than, like, a little bug. But, um, I don't know. There's dangerous stuff everywhere. Rock climbing's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, life is dangerous. Driving's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Guiding, I joke with people all the time when they're, like, freaking out after we I've, like, taken a trip out that was, like, particularly challenging for a group. I'm like... You guys know that like driving here was way more dangerous than like what we just did today, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like you're not when you're driving, you're not like with a professional, you know. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's just you and what your driver's ed teacher taught you. <laughs> yeah. Or your parents. Like, yeah, you have to trust like everybody else that's yeah. like maybe drunk, maybe not, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, just an idiot in general yeah two two lane roads are wild there's a lot of trust there i hate driving it's like my least favorite thing (laughs) i can't be the one not driving at this point i've been in a few racks and i I definitely like driving (laughs) yeah i mean you're a good driver some people driving i'm like please no (laughs) (laughs) let me do it please thank you you're scaring the shit out of me yeah so do you think you're gonna guide like for the rest of your life or uh i mean i could see it i really like it um it's not even just that like i like rock climbing but i actually like enjoy guiding because it's like you know sharing these areas and these activities with people that otherwise wouldn't be able to experience them i think that's really cool and i think if that's why you get into guiding or ultimately that's what you get out of guiding you would enjoy doing it for a very long time uh but i do see a lot of people and thought I was going to be the person that was, you know, just going to get into it because I was a broke rock climber and I was going to be able to be outside and be on the rock more, but that's definitely not why I'm staying with it. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Also having like an off season is pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I, I guide. Oh, well, I've been guiding for the last like couple of years and it's real fun. <laughs> like just teaching people skills and like you see their face light up of like oh like this is how you do this and for sure yeah i i just love that like the the giving people like a new skill that you know we both know very well like oh yep sweet and you know get paid pretty well Definitely. to do it so. it's always something that i took for granted like it was just something that like i grew up doing and um never really thought it was going to be a career path. Like kind of knew I was going to like climb on and off for the rest of my life. But, um, 
definitely never thought it was going to be a career field, but the outdoor industry as a whole has been like, you know, blowing up. And if you want to get into that realm, there's lots of opportunities for it. Um, and you can kind of dive into it as much as you want, which I think is cool. Yeah, totally. I know. I think I'm probably going to be like sort of in the outdoor fields my whole life. Yeah. I don't know like what capacity that's going to be right now, but I think staying like open-minded with that is can be important and it like opens up like a lot of opportunity. Um, but I feel like once you get into the outdoor world, like I can't imagine like going back and sitting in an office in Denver. Um, I take out clients all the time that are like, you're living the dream. It's like, well, it's a dream sometimes, but I was in like a flowing snow waterfall this springtime with clients talking, like we're all shivering. It's like you work in all conditions and some days are, you're in a t-shirt and getting sun kissed. And the other days you're like freezing your butt off and telling people that we're all having fun. (laughs) But like, I would still rather have those suffering days than yeah. Pushing pencils. Yeah. And just being like bored and like questioning what you're doing with your life. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Like it definitely like feels like a purpose, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, definitely like we're a certain breed. Like, uh, yeah, I could never just like sit in an office and like yeah. waste away like i just i will i will quit like i just can't do it <laughs> yeah i agree i yeah i'd honestly rather like get into some type of construction at this point as opposed to like going back to an office yeah yeah totally because like i'm used to like using my body yeah and you need to use your body you know it's healthy <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's good and bad at the same time. Like your body wears out. But I I could not. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think you got to get somewhere pretty soon here. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear people coming in. So. Sweet, dude. Nice conversation. I think it's mostly like climbing heavy. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't know if that's like what you're looking for but no yeah it's, it's great um a lot of people will like it, i'm sure yeah <laughs> it feels weird because it's just like your life and it's like this is kind of boring but at the same time people are probably like oh that's super interesting no i mean yeah people will love it i'm sure just like climbers that are listening will be like oh i know what that means you know <laughs> yeah yeah for sure cool yeah yeah cool man thank you so much amazing yeah (laughs) thank you guys for listening to the Ridgeway Podcast again I'm your host Jason Ringenberg If you would like to follow Jared's adventures, thesundialguides.com or on Instagram, amazingadventures underscore sundial. I I just love that I get to share my friends' stories because my friends have grown into such amazing people and it's so fun for me to share that with you guys. Please check them out. Please book a trip with them because I guarantee you from personal experience, it's definitely going to be the most fun experience you'll ever have in Southern Utah. So thank you, Jared. 
and thank you everybody for listening reach away podcast another great episode wrapped up you love yourself love everybody roots away <laughs>